0: Well, thank you very much for the lovely invitation to come and speak. Uh, Simon's obviously not here. Um, in some ways, I'm quite glad he's not here after the results yesterday in the Euros, um, because he would be going on forever about how Wales are ahead of England. I'm confident of that. And so we bless them as they're away, and uh, we look forward to them coming back to us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to page 1036, the reading that's been kindly read for us uh, from Luke chapter 7. We're going to be just looking at uh, four words, actually, when it comes to it. And uh, it actually occurs in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. These are words. For she loved much. For she loved much. That sense of, uh, in this amazing passage, uh, on uh, uh, very appropriate, really, if you think about it, being the Queen's birthday. We're thinking about a woman's faith. For she loved much. This actually is a set reading for the day in Anglican churches. That's what I tend to do when I'm asked to preach. I just turn uh, to the lectionary. Uh, being Anglican, you see, that's what we do. And uh, we just see what's, what's there and, and say, OK, God, what are you saying? And I just see, for you this morning, that's what God's saying to you. Not just for she loved much do you? It didn't say that there, but I think it's implicit. For she loved much, do you? Do I? We're going to look at the three characters in this story, of uh, Jesus, uh, Simon, who we know, uh, not Simon, your pastor, uh, not Simon Peter, uh, Simon the Pharisee, and the one that's unnamed, And that's the one, actually, of who we're thinking about most. Actually, it's not much, it is about Jesus, it is a bit about Simon, but actually the person who shows us the way is the one with no name. That's quite symbolic to me, because that means we can fill our names in there. The one who's been forgiven much, for she loved much. Do you, do I. Let's think about the first person here, of course. And one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. It's good to hear about cake and food. Hospitality is uh, one of the key ways uh, that people relate to each other. It was true in those days as it was in all other days. And Jesus, of course, uh, in this part of Luke, you're in Luke 7, uh, you're a good way into the passage. And Jesus is fulfilling his ministry as he goes out and about. He may well have been to the synagogue in the morning, some commentators suggest, And this is sort of like afterwards. You get invited back, and they're invited to go. And the Pharisee uh, invites him back, and he goes to this place for a meal. It's part of what he's called to do. We don't know a lot about Jesus' early life, but we do know uh, that in Luke 4, uh, that he was anointed. A bit like the Queen uh, says that one of her most powerful memories of her consecration actually was uh, the anointing that was done out of sight of the cameras when she was anointed by oil and she saw that as her god-given duty and she's dedicated her life to that service that's what she said openly in that wonderful book about the servant king if you've seen it and it was produced by LICC and others uh, to celebrate the queen's the, uh, the queen's birthday The the Spirit of the Lord, uh, Jesus read on that day at Nazareth uh, some time back, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus, like the Queen, has a specific anointing. He's a specific task. He's been set apart by God for a specific mission. You've heard what I get involved in, and so what do you get involved in? What is it that you do to proclaim this love of God that is so overwhelming that this woman could actually do what she does in this story? What aspect of that ministry, that mission, are you taking part in? We may not be royalty. We may not, definitely not be Jesus in that sense. But I think that each one of us no matter what our churchmanship, no matter what our backgrounds, has a specific call from God to use our lives for his purposes and his mission. I want to give my life to that. That's what I've been doing even before I was ordained, I was in the Royal Air Force as a humble airman, and I just gave my life to serving him in that capacity. So every time I got, I was doing graphic work about the size of this, here, this here and about the size of that and uh, I to had to check them and there was five acetates, you drew them. A job would take about a week and the only reward for doing it well is you got another one. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what some of my mates did? They went slow. <laughs> they weren't really slow. But that, to my mind, was not good enough because actually I was trying to do each of these little acetates uh, that probably have been surpassed by computers, no doubt, by now, uh, each one as though it was for God. But my ministry then was to actually serve in that way, to serve my country, to serve uh, our Queen, to serve our, our, our each other by the job that I did and the way that I did it. Just the other day, back in our little house just around the corners, Andrew indicated where we live, uh, some friend of mine uh, came back after I've not seen him for 32 years. Used to go running with him in the Air Force. <laughs> and uh, there's like two old men coming together, it was really sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, talking about the old days of how we used to run at a certain pace, and now we go out running and we can't do it. <laughs> we think we can for the first mile. You might see me running down London Road, and just by about the, the corner by the range, I've, I've given up. <laughs> But that sense of actually what we do, what was our ministry, what's our calling, Jesus knew what his ministry was, but his, his sense of worth was not actually gained from that ministry. His sense of worth isn't gained from actually being there with this Pharisee, being there, look at me. It's not gained from that. It's because he knows that he too is loved by God. At his baptism in Luke three twenty two, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You see, we can't offer love to others. We can't demonstrate that love that no doubt that lady had received in some way or other. Obviously that she's received something from her actions. We can't offer that unless we know that for ourselves. That's my main point this morning. We can't offer love to others unless we know that we have been loved ourselves. And Jesus was secure in that. He wasn't knocked off by the Pharisees. He wasn't knocked off by the detractors. He wasn't knocked off course, even by those who were his disciples and went a bit astray at times because we're human and we sometimes get it wrong. If you find the perfect church, please leave it because you just made it imperfect. (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect church. That sense that actually we need to know, we need to be refreshed Sunday by Sunday, day by day actually, and receive again the outpouring of God's grace for each one of us. That's what keeps me going in the morning. If you are not guessed, we live literally around the corner. A little house. Uh, we were on the telly lately. Uh, we're looking at our, uh, how we rebuilt it. You can all come back afterwards. That's a shock to Karen. Uh, <laughs> see what we did but actually we we just lived there but each morning every morning i'm not just saying it for effect it's what i've been doing in the air force each morning i get down and I i read the scriptures i need to receive the love of god we need to delight in the law of god and delight in it not be pharisaical about it there's a difference in the way we approach that do we know that love for ourselves jesus did he was affirmed by his father and set off in his ministry. He only had three years of ministry, had 29. He was far more effective. So what are we called to do? I believe that each one of us has a particular calling for our lives. And it's never too late to find out what that calling is. And it's not all about, like me, serving full-time in the life of the church. It can be serving in the Air Force. It can be serving in any capacity. But you must see it as being part and parcel of God's will. This hour, or an hour and a bit, is not just something separate to the rest of the life. I'm a 24-7 Christian the whole, whole of my life. Ever since I've become a Christian, it's all about what, how do I serve this God? And it's not about my worth comes from that which I do. My worth comes from who I am before God. We sang it, I am a child of God. And Jesus himself needed to know that. That's why we're in this passage. He's been doing these tours in Galilee. He's been doing these tours around. And there's a particular interest in this Jesus. For she loved much do you? Jesus did. Let's turn to the second person in our story. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have a dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. What do you know about Pharisees? Maybe not a lot. Usually in churches you can hear a hidden boo going on uh, because that's where we've been brought up in the life of the church. Pharisees is bad, Uh, bad, bad, bad. Actually, I think they get a bit of a bad press. A while back, Karen and I were privileged to go to Israel uh, some time ago, and um, we, we, we enjoyed it. Karen struggled a little bit, and she realized that we're on a coach tour. She didn't like coach tours. and We're doing a lot of geography. She didn't like geography. and We're doing a lot of history. She didn't like history. Uh, we, we were going everywhere, all over the place, being directed by people, getting up really early and moving. It didn't like doing that. Um, it really wasn't good. I <laughs> know. That was a picture, wasn't it? You know, but actually, one of the main things that we heard about was actually don 't there was a fantastic guide that we had that it all brought it to life. when you see a road sign saying Galilee three miles or how many kilometers it is it really brings it home to you. you know Capernaum over there you know all of a sudden, that which we read over here in the u k actually is there. You literally walk where these people have walked. you can see where these things have happened. It really was in that sense very profound amongst all the a clutter of modern society and everything else and understanding the layers of history that were there. I thought it was fascinating. One of the things that we heard was, is that don't give the Pharisees too hard a time. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, and Essenes and Zealots and different groupings that you read of that we need to look at and understand. But these are groups of people in their own different ways seeking to follow God. That's what we were told. So by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were trying to stand a little bit apart from those who'd gone along with the Romans saying, no, we need to be holy. That was their desire. So let's not give them a bad press. Paul was written up, as he said himself, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. They knew the law. They tried to delight in the law. Sometimes they went a little bit too far. But that was their desire. For goodness sake, he's invited Jesus back to him after service for a meal. And some commentators say, oh, well, you know, Pharisees, is out to trap him. I don't think you can read that in this story just yet. You don't know what's going on. What about Joseph of Arimathea? What about Nicodemus, people who are high up and religious leaders? Jesus mixed with the poor. He mixed with those who were pretty well off as well. You can see that at the beginning of Luke 8, of those who supported him. People in Herod's household were there. So there's a misnomer sometimes that that's just what Jesus did. He mixed with whoever he wanted to mix with. You're not going to contain the Son of God. We lived in Woodbridge for some 14 years, and it's quite posh in Woodbridge. Uh, So when we moved this way, people said, Why on earth have you moved around here? (laughs) You know, People actually in Woodbridge need to hear about Jesus Christ just as much as anybody else does. And sometimes I found that the length of the drive was coterminous with a sense of the amount of loneliness that was going on. It may not be beer and wine very obviously on the streets, but it'd be hip flats in the pockets. The same issues are around in every society that there is. So let's not knock uh, this Pharisee of what's going on uh, for him. But we do know that there is a sense increasingly in Luke's gospel as we approach this time that the Pharisees are sort of seem to be testing Jesus out. And they gather around him. In Luke 5, 17, one day he was teaching Pharisees, teach the law, who had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And they were sitting there. I've never read that before. Look it up, Luke 5, verse 17. They actually come from all over the place to hear what Jesus was saying. They were, desperate. in a sense, interesting. But they had theological questions. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Is he actually blaspheming here? We're worried, we're concerned. Because we're concerned that the people of God might be led into unholy ways, and unholy ways leads into exile. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want people to miss out on the blessing that God's got for them. And in their view, that was the land. That was Israel, and they wanted it restored. So I think Pharisees can sometimes get a bit of a bad press. For she loved much. Do you, Simon? We know his name, the Pharisee. Let's find out. This woman comes and she's the third character in the story. And actually, she's the chief character in the story in many respects. That sense that she comes and she comes with a great intent to be there. Notice the setup here a Pharisee, a righteous, well respected person in the life of the synagogue possibly invites him back and jesus maybe he'd been the speaker we don't know maybe he'd been the guest of honor we don't know invites him back to the house there they are they recline they lay that's how they would do so jesus feet at one end and the, the, like at the upper room the closest were there and this woman comes in in those days it was a public event very often you had a meal others would actually just perhaps come uninvited but when she came there would have been a stir in the room people knew this woman she described euphemistically as having lived a sinful life. Well, who hasn't? <laughs> but that could be shorthand for being a prostitute. The jury's out on quite what it means, but it suggests you may be an adulterer. She's well known anyway, shall we put it like that. And their heads would have turned, and Simon may well have been rather embarrassed. And she's going to be embarrassed even more because she brings with her an alabaster jar of perfume. Alabaster jar is probably uh, an expensive jar, not a cheap jar. This isn't just something from the pound shop. This is something from the posh shops, from Co's or wherever. This is, this, is, this is that sort of jar. And when you break a jar open, your jar's gone because you break the top off and you pour it out. And normally in those days you anoint the head. And she's just so overcome with emotion, she stands behind him at his feet, weeping. We're not told, the passage doesn't tell us here, why she's weeping. We get a hint later on that she's clearly been forgiven much, but we don't know that incident. And some commentators suggest that surely she must have met Jesus earlier for him to later say your sins are forgiven your face has healed you so what's the face where's the actual signing on bit has she been baptized uh like you would do here as she comes through the anglican church has she what's what formula has she comes through we don't know and jesus doesn't care <laughs> but you can see her faith in what the in her actions and i've studied very carefully for you this morning I won't go through all of it? I've said it very carefully. I can't find one other person until at this point that has come deliberately to Jesus to do something for him. Everyone else who comes to him wants something from him. She does something for him. The one other person I can suggest that might do it is actually Simon the Pharisee, who's invited him around for a meal. <laughs> And we're not told why he does it, but she has deliberately, intentionally gone towards Jesus. She has, and she's overcome. She's come with. She's she's brought that jar with her. It's not just something she's found on the way, or she does. She has deliberately, intentionally brought that jar because she loves much. And she's overcome with emotion. Some of us find emotions a bit difficult. But she's overcome with emotion. Just at the sight of Jesus being there. Maybe she's aware of what's been going on inside her. That comes out in what Jesus' response is to Simon in particular. But Jesus does not address her to begin with. He just lets her do what she's going to do. And we know there's another story very similar in Bethany and the other Gospels. Let's just leave that aside for a moment. Let's just treat this in itself in Luke here at this particular moment in time. And as she's weeped, she may not intended to weep, but she weeps. And she weeps profusely. And, and she, she just weeps and then she lets her hair down, which is a real taboo thing to do. And she wipes the, the, her tears that are falling on his feet and she wipes his, his feet uh, with her hair. Scandalous. Some have suggested the alabaster jar of perfume may have been bought uh, because of the proceeds from her prostitution. We don't know. That's conjecture. It's certainly expensive. Where did she get it from? We don't know. But we do know that she did this. She intentionally brought that. She weeps. She wipes it. Her, her, his feet uh, with her hair. And, she, and, and and then, and she, she kisses him, and we know that she doesn't stop kissing. It's an ongoing kissing. The kissing of feet was a sign of respect, and this was really ultra embarrassing. Can you imagine this happening in your household? Imagine it happening here? It would just be, it' it'd just shock us. You know and many of us, I suspect, are British. many of us are from other places, but we don't do that sort of thing here, and they don't do that then either bit more expressive in their ways of being, but bit very different. And she pours perfume over his feet. A rather different sort of anointing than the Queen had, I suspect. And the key here is that Jesus just lets her do it. Why? For she loved That's what Jesus looks for in you and me. Our expression of love back to him, and I think some of us have lost it. Somewhere along the way, somewhere during the week, we leak <laughs> faith. <laughs> it goes out of us. We're on the high, hopefully on a Sunday, and then it drops. Maybe we go to a study group, maybe go to a sewing group, may go to a missional community, and then we get back to the world <laughs> and it leaks. I want you to be reminded this morning that you are loved so much as this woman has been loved so much. We don't know how she may have encountered Jesus before this, we don't know what it is. And then he just loves to receive our love back and he won't stop us. This is big news for Simon. uh, The Simon the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Notice he tries to keep what's going on inside him private and quiet. He's very British. (laughs) It's it's locked away inside him. Actually, the woman's the complete opposite. She's all out there. (laughs) What she's feeling is coming out, and it's shown, and it's clear, and she's not worried about it. It just happens. That's the sort of thing that Jesus is looking for. Jesus doesn't address her; he addresses him, Simon. I've something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said he's keen to know, but a little suspicious. He tells him this story about this, these two people who owe, owe something. Now, which of, the, of them will love him more? Notice in the passage, in that little passage there, that neither had the ability to cancel the debts for themselves it's freely cancelled. And you need to know that you're loved and no matter what you've done or what I've done, it really has been cancelled. And sometimes some of us go back on ourselves and we think actually, you know, we have become a Christian, we know something of God's love, we know something of his grace, but then over a period of time we get things a bit wrong, we get things, can we be forgiven again? And again, and again. Well, yes. Yes. That's why in our tradition, we, there's always confession early on in the service. I had the radio on this morning, with some from Sandingham, from the Book of Common Prayer, and very early on in, the, in, in, the radio, in, in that service, I was brought upon it. It's very clear that you're a sinner. <laughs> very clear. <laughs> but very clear you're forgiven. One of the first things in the liturgy and the church, that's what you do. You're reminded Sunday by Sunday, or day by day, that actually, we're just trying to serve God. We can't bring the growth. God brings the growth, but we play our part. And playing our part means that we're clear of sin. We're clear of that which has gone wrong. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are in Jesus Christ. We are a child of God. We have been loved so much, and we are continuing to be loved so much. And if you hear nothing else, you need to hear that this morning. No matter what's gone on or what is going on. We are loved so much. You judge correctly, Jesus said. He then turns, finally in verse 44, he turns to a woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Rather, obviously, I do. I thought we'd be passed that by and have a nice theological discussion now. But now, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hairs. Now, the law did not actually require him to provide that. If you know about Abraham and the patriarchs, that would have been the custom, but it actually wasn't specifically in detail required. And this is where the Pharisees sometimes got it wrong. They didn't delight in the law. They were getting into the detail of it. And was it correct? I think Simon's very correct. He's made sure his behavior is correct. He's done the correct thing, but it's not the overflow. There's not the generosity of spirit. My job, as I said to Andrew, is to go around different churches, and I I can sum up a church in about two minutes by the way I get greeted, the way I get welcomed or not. (laughs) You can sum it up very rapidly. Of what it's going to be like when you're out and about in the itinerant ministry that I now have across 445 churches in Suffolk. That's my ministry, that's what I do. And I can sense of whether it's a great welcome, whether it's not. I can sense of something of the spiritual temp- temperature just by some basic things. And there was no water for him to wash the feet. That would have been quite a good thing to do. It wasn't necessary wasn't required by the law, but it would have been a good, generous thing to do, and he didn't do it. These are very practical, down to earth. I'm a practical Northerner, and they're very practical, down to earth things that show that we love Jesus. It's doing those little things that really matter, that really count. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. And that's a difficult one to think of a modern translation, uh, modern equivalent for, isn't it? <laughs> We went to some friends' house last night, and um, uh, Shannon and Jane, who live over in Wickham Market now, used to be in Woodbridge, we know them well. And uh, first thing is the equivalent, though, is a hug. <laughs> They're huggy people. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you just go around the place and give everybody a hug. Some people give you a strange look about it, but just that sense of it's not required, but it, it's, it's good to do. That's not quite the equivalent here, but... And it's an incessant kissing of feet, the, the Greek suggested. It's not just a little bit, it's an incessant kissing of feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Again, it was not required that you offered that custom. It was dusty, it was dry, to have nice ointment on you, to freshen you up. Uh, do you want to use a cloak room? Is that sort of a touch about it? It was, it was a good thing to do. It wasn't required, but, and Simon's just so correct. He just does to the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. That's the big problem with the Pharisees sometimes. They were good people, I think, by and large. They wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to be holy people. And Simon had at least invited this Jesus fellow, for whatever reason, back for a meal. So let's not discredit that. But actually, he had got it wrong in so many levels. And the inference is because he did not love much. Jesus never says that, notice. He just lets it hang there. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, her many sins. He's not hiding the fact of what her life is like. He could have said to Simon, and your many sins. (laughs) Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. If I was Jesus, I couldn't have stopped myself and said, do you? He leaves it hanging, he's cleverer than me. (laughs) He doesn't ask the direct question, but I'm asking that of myself and of all of us this morning. Do you? Do you know that you are loved as a child of God? That your worth is not bound up in your ministry, in the life of the church, or in what you do in society, or in who you are? We're going to be grandparents soon. It's going to be fantastic. You're meant to say, you can't possibly be. You're far too young to do that. (laughs) Do say that to me as you leave, and you'll be rewarded in heaven. No, no, I didn't say that. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to be grandparents here. We can't wait. We know it's a granddaughter these days. You know these things. And uh, we're looking forward to, to welcoming her and being uh, just part of it. I can't imagine what it's going to be like. It's going to be fantastic to hold a little one again. We've got two boys, by the way. They're a bit big now uh, to hold in that way. But do you know that you're a child, that you are held by God? Do you love so much that no matter what you do, God's there for you? We will be there for our boys and our granddaughters and grandchildren, whatever's to come, no matter what. No matter what we do, what they do, we're going to be there for them. We will always be there for them. Sam, our youngest, was playing rugby at Woodbridge School, and uh, he was uh, um, his little chap, a bit like Karen, and, uh, and he was put as a hooker, and uh, careful I say that, and <laughs> he was uh, in the scrum, and for those who don't know what they are, they, they're the guys who hang between the two big chaps at the front and try and get the ball uh, legally, sort of, in the scrum uh, to, the, to, the, to the people at the back. Don't worry about what he is. Anyway, he's a little chap, but in the midst of the big ones. And that's what he was doing. And he was playing rugby. And I was with, uh, it was a Wednesday afternoon, and one of the delights of being a vicar is you can wander off from time to time from what you do and uh, go and see your son play. And so I did. At the school, he was playing rugby. And the uh, lovely um, headmaster's wife, uh, who's a Christian, I was sat ne- stood next to her on the touchline, uh, talking, but also keeping one eye on the game. And then keeping that one eye on the game, I could see Sam uh, get hold of the ball, remember, little chap, followed by these big, burly chaps. And uh, he has got the ball, he's quite tricky, quite quick, and ran up the wing with the ball, twisting in and out. And I forgot for a moment that I was with uh, the headmaster's wife, uh, lovely lady. And uh, I just suddenly let out his bellow Go on, Sam! Go on, my son! God looks at you this morning and says the same thing Go on, my son. Go on, my daughter. You are loved so much. I want to receive that love way back. We need to know that. I don't think Simon knew that. But this lady did. For she loved so much. And our ministry is the same as Jesus, is to offer that love. That forgiveness of sins is for all people. I cringe sometimes in churches how we talk of people out there who are the sinners, I sometimes cringe about it. We use words about the lost. Well, we're all lost in one respect. We're all children of God. Some people just don't know it yet. That's what we do. That's why I admire what you do on the streets and your missional communities, your outward-lookingness. I'd say that, wouldn't I? Because I'm about the 95% of people who do not come in here. I don't do this a lot anymore because I'm actually more encouraging you to go where the people are. But I want to encourage you this morning to receive that love of God that you know for yourselves so you can in turn, in your places of work and in your places of being, be alongside those people who are notorious. Those people other people will shun. Those people other people will ignore. Because sometimes those who need, they have got the greatest need can show the greatest love, is what Jesus is saying. And we've sometimes forgotten that for ourselves. For she loved so much. That's the band to come back. And we're going to move into a time of prayer and worship. And uh, remind ourselves of God's love and grace for each one of us. Ask you to stand, if you would. The and they're going to start playing. We're going to be singing, uh, "King of Kings, Majesty." We may move into another song. And just where we are, time to respond. We're just going to receive again something of God's love for each one of us. Where we are, as we sing, and there's opportunity for prayer ministry uh, here at the front. If you want to receive that fresh anointing uh, of God's love for you in order that you might show that love to other people, then then please feel free uh, to come forward. Let's sing King of Kings' Majesty.